We're going to continue on with our series entitled Tough as Nails this morning. Really been enjoying bringing this to you. I really hope it's been encouraging to you. Although we're talking about obviously things that are difficult and hard and difficult seasons of our life. I want this to be encouragement because I know that we can go through these things. We've talked about this before. We'll talk about it again. I know that no matter how hard it gets, if you have Jesus, you're tough enough. If you have him, he was tough as nails because he was tough as nails. We can be tough as nails because what he went through and experienced and overcame came we can do the same and so we've been talking over the last couple weeks of some of the attributes that Jesus had that we can apply in our lives and use to also be as tough as he is because I know we're going through hard times maybe you're not going through a hard time right now but I know you will at some point and so these are things that we can all use throughout those moments so we can get through them and become better and stronger even through the most difficult times times and seasons of our lives. Before we jump in, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this day and this time. Father, I pray that you would just just speak through me right now, God. You would just put the words that you desire for me to share in my mouth and those things would come out. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So every week, we've, like I said, we've been looking at an attribute, and so we're going to jump right in and talk about the one that I think is really important. Now listen, I think all of these are important, okay? And I try not to say this too often, because although I do believe that there's lots of things that fill this, this, this that could fill this, um, this definition, I really believe that this is one that I want to focus in on, because I think that if we can get this one, if we can apply it on a regular basis, this is one of those game changer attributes that will literally transform your life, okay? I know anything God gets a hold of, he can transform, but I think this is a big one, especially today. And I'm not talking about today like today, but in the last 20-some years, this one has become so much more important because of how our cultures changed and because how things have changed around us. So this is the one that, that, that we really want to focus in on this morning. And here it is. It says, when the going gets tough, the tough learn to see. The tough learn to see. I have some great, amazing nephews and nieces. One of the greatest things that you can be, uh, other than a father and a mother and a grandparent, is an uncle or an aunt. Because that, that's kind of like being a grandparent in some ways. You know, you kind of get them all riled up and you have fun with them. Then you send them home with mom and dad. It's, it's, being an uncle and being an aunt is training for being a grandparent. I really believe that. And I have some great, amazing awesome, young, just nieces and nephews that I love so much. And, and I have this one, and, and her name is Grace. And Grace is awesome, and Grace is fun. And she and I, when, when I see Grace, she runs over and gives me a hug. She lives in Kansas City. I don't get to see her as much as I'd like, but we hang out all the time. And, and Grace was, a couple years ago, having a little bit of an issue. She was in kindergarten, I believe, or first grade. I can't remember which, but she was in those lower grades. And she was having a hard time. And she, was, she, she seemed really bright and really smart and all these things, but she was having a hard time reading. And she was having a hard time keeping up with things. And, and we were kind of, as a family, getting a little concerned. I mean, we want her to succeed. We want her to do well. And, and she just kind of wasn't. And it was kind of like, what's going on? Well, eventually, the teacher made a suggestion and said, hey, have you ever had her eyes checked? And my sister said, you know, no, we really, we really haven't had her eyes checked. So we, she, they, they took her to the eye doctor. And guess what they found out? They basically found out that Gracie really couldn't see. Now here's what's interesting about that concept. She had never really seen the world clearly. She had, this, was used, this was what she was used to. This is what she'd experienced every day, that when she looked at things, they were just cloudy. That was just kind of what happened. Well, guess what? They got her some glasses, and they put some glasses on her, and guess what happened at school? All of a sudden, she began to read a lot better. All of a sudden, she began to do so much better in school, and she's doing an awesome, awesome job. Now, was there, what was the issue in that whole story? Was the issue her brain? No, her brain worked fine. Was her issue her desire? No, her desire. She wanted to do well. She cared about doing well. The problem was she couldn't see. You see, here's the thing I know and I believe. You actually have two sets of eyes. 
You have a natural set of eyes and you have a spiritual set of eyes. And the situation that I find sometimes in our lives is we tend to look at things and see them with our eyes that are not the correct eyes to look at the situation. It's kind of like Gracie. She had to get on those new quote-unquote glasses or eyes to really be able to see clearly about what was going on. Look at 2 Corinthians 5-7. I know we've heard this before, but this is important that we catch this. We live by faith, not by sight. What is the difference here? We, well, Paul here is basically giving us a comparison. He's saying we don't live this way, we live this way. What is Paul saying? Basically, Paul's saying this. We live by faith, the things that we can only see with our spiritual eyes. We don't live by sight or the things that we can see with our natural eyes. You see, what I found is if you look at things through the lens or through your eyes that are natural, you're going to have some issues. But if you can begin to slowly and kind of like Gracie, put on those new glasses, put on those new eyes and see things that way, you are going to be shocked at how much better you can understand situations and circumstances and things like that. It's in your notes. It's important that you catch this. Our situations and circumstances will look different depending on which set of eyes we choose to use. When you're looking at things, when you turn on the news, or when you look at situations and circumstances, what set of eyes are you using? Because I promise you this, if you use the right eyes, things in your life will be different. But if you use the wrong eyes, if you use those natural eyes, you're going to find some things creeping up into your life that is not what God has for you. I wanted to really nail this and really help you see this. So let's look in our notes. This is important. When we use our natural eyes, we will have a spirit of doubt, fear, worry, worthlessness, anger, and hopelessness. You say, Aaron, how do I know which set of eyes I'm using? It's just like most things in life. It depends on what fruit is being birthed out of which eyes you're using. If you look at situations and you look at circumstances and you're seeing things and what is being birthed in you is that doubt, is that fear, is that worry, is that worthlessness, you're looking with the wrong eyes. However, when we use our spiritual eyes, we will have a spirit of faith love, acceptance, hope, grace, mercy, forethought, and goodness. But when we look at things with our spiritual eyes, the fruit that's going to come out is going to be different. It's real simple to know. It's real simple to see. When you turn on things or you look at situations and circumstances, depending on which eyes you use will depend on which fruit is produced in your life. You ever met somebody that just, it just seems like, and it, and it almost drives you crazy, you know, it's almost like annoying, but it's like no matter what, they have the, like, they have a right attitude, they're joyful, they're excited, it's like you could walk up to them and cut their arm off, and they could be sitting there with blood splurting out, and their response would be, boy, I sure am glad I got my left arm, and you're just like, Ning! you know, and it almost drives you crazy. What have they mastered? What have they figured out that sometimes we haven't? It's simple. They choose to look at the situations with their spiritual eyes. If we can do this, it will change everything. It will change everything. And I truly believe that what we're seeing in the church, what we're seeing as far as some of the issues that the church as a whole is dealing with is simple. We're not using the eyes that God gave us. We're looking at situations and circumstances, and instead of using our spiritual eyes, we're using our natural eyes. Now, we've talked about this before. Jesus is the perfect example of this. We're going to look at a couple of things that show how Jesus didn't always use, he used his spiritual eyes and, and not his natural eyes. Let's look at John 5. In John 5, 19, Jesus says this. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by Himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing. It doesn't say that He does what the Father tells Him, even though He does, but He says He does what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. 
it's interesting here that Jesus shares this idea of seeing what God is doing, and therefore when he sees it, he does it. We need to understand Jesus here is not talking about seeing with his natural eyes. He's talking about seeing with his spiritual eyes. He's saying, listen, if you want to do what the Father does, you've got to see what the Father does. How do we do that? We stop looking in the natural and we start looking in the supernatural to see how God is moving and God how is working in those things. And it's so important that Jesus got that because it helped him in his life to live the way that God wanted him to live. Because he basically says, that's how I do what the Father does. You want to be more like the Father? You want to be more like Jesus? We have to see what they do and then do it as well. But I want to give you another example that I thought was really good. Matthew 9.9. In Matthew 9.9, we're just very the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And this is what it says. As Jesus was walking along... He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. One verse, pretty simple. Most of us have gone through that verse or seen it. Most of us know, yeah, Matthew was a tax collector and all these things. But you need to understand something. This verse has some really important depth to it. This verse is communicating that Jesus sees him a little bit different than everybody else. So let's do this. Let's look at these differences here. When people used their natural eyes and saw Matthew... They saw a couple things. Number one, natural eyes saw a traitor. A traitor. You see, to be a tax collector for the Romans, it was basically a traitorous act. It was basically working with the enemy. And people despised tax collectors. Not just because, and we'll get to this in a moment, not just because they took their money, but because they were aligning themselves with the Romans. They were aligning themselves with the enemy. You want to understand how much the Jewish people despised the Romans? How long did it take for even his disciples to finally understand that Jesus didn't come to get rid of the Romans? That was what they were constantly... Jesus, when are you going to kick him out? Jesus, when are you going to do that? They were looking at the Messiah as a political Messiah. We don't do that today, I'm sure. And they missed there was something deeper. So Matthew here, when people saw him, they saw a traitor. They saw, if this will help us, this is the Benedict Arnold of his day. They did not like him. He was a traitor. The second thing, the second thing is they saw an extortionist. They saw someone who not only was a tax collector, not only was that individual, but someone that was an extortionist type of person. Why do I say that? Real simple. Because basically what Rome, all Rome cared about is make sure that you collect the taxes that we need. But he could collect whatever else he wanted and keep it for himself. I was, as I was looking at this, I was just studying this this week, kind of looking at some of the depth in all this. They, they, I can't remember exactly where, so you have to forgive me because I was looking at a lot of different things. But I found something where in Rome or somewhere in the Roman area or, or, or country, whatever you want to call it, they basically had put up at some point a statue to the honest tax collector. Like, there was, there was so few of them, he got a statue. This is who we're dealing with, okay? So basically, they would say, Rome said, hey, listen, you need to collect a dollar from everybody. But Matthew or whoever else could basically say, yeah, I don't know, I think I'm going to collect $2 from you. And he'd pocket the extra. There was nothing that you could do about it. There was nothing that you could say about it. You had to pay. Because all the tax collector had to say was, yep, he didn't pay his taxes. And some bad things would happen then, just like sometimes they can happen now. So he would extort money from people. He would do that. The tax collectors would do that. The final thing, he was an outcast. He was an outcast. Now, what does that mean? What, what does that actually look like? Okay, as an outcast. You need to understand something. When a person became a tax collector, yes, they gained money. Yes, they gained prestige. But can I be, they basically lost everything else. They weren't allowed to become a witness in a case. They weren't allowed to be a judge in a case. They weren't even, a lot of times, they were excommunicated from their family. They were definitely excommunicated from the synagogue. It was basically, they lost it all. 
They lost their family. They lost their name. And in the way that the Jewish mindset when it came to synagogue, they lost God. It was they lost it all. This was an outcast of the highest degree. When people would walk by and see Matthew in his booth, when they looked at him, those are some of the things they saw. As we've been watching The, the Chosen, they've done a great job of kind of showing that where, where Matthew is even afraid to go out. And when he does, people spit at him and, and people despise him. People don't want him around. There, there's one scene where he wants so badly to go see his, his parents and, and his dad. And basically his dad has told him, I have no son. This is Matthew. This is the life he lives, and this is what people see when they see him. Isn't it awesome for you, for Matthew and all of us, that Jesus doesn't see us the way the world sees us? Because Jesus looks, you see, when Jesus used his spiritual eyes and saw Matthew, he saw some different things. The first thing he saw was a disciple. He He saw a follower of him. I love that. Jesus didn't look and say, you know what? I'm sorry, he doesn't fit the part. You know what? He doesn't look the part. You know what? He doesn't have the pedigree. He goes, he goes, he calls him. He says, you can follow me. And what's awesome, Matthew immediately gets up and he follows Jesus. I've heard it said that Matthew in some ways was the disciple who gave up the most materialistically to follow Jesus. He just left it all and became a disciple. The second thing, I love this. Jesus saw a gifted servant. A gifted servant. What did a tax collector do during those days? Okay, it's real simple. He collected money, but he also had to record that money. He had to be good with details. He had to be able to write well and legibly and remember things. He had to be able to go back through his ledgers and go, okay, this is what was given. This is what was due. This is, he had all these things. And isn't it amazing that today we can open our Bible and find a book written by a man who was so good with details. You see, here's the thing. Jesus, when people looked at Matthew and saw his pen, they saw something ugly. They saw something that could never be used by God. God looked at Matthew and saw his pen and said, oh my goodness, this is a gifted man that I can use for my kingdom. You see, what's so amazing is there's so many things in our lives that the world can look at or even we can look at and we can go, how can God use that? How can God use me? This, this could never be used for God. This is an instrument of, of traitorous action. This is, a, this is an outcast pin. This is a pin of someone who's turned his back on everything. And Jesus says, you know what? If you will just follow me, if you will just let me touch your life, those things that you think could never be used will be used in ways that you could never dream. So amazing. That pin that everybody hated, God used and turned it into one of the most amazing gospels that we have today. So Jesus saw that. He saw a gifted servant. The final thing, he saw a family member. He saw a family member. Remember, Matthew had lost it all. The tax collectors had lost it all. If you continue on in this story, if you continue on with Matthew 9, 10, 11, and so on and so forth, Matthew invites Jesus over to his house. And guess who Matthew invites? Tax collectors. Sinners. I mean, it's amazing. In a moment, all of a sudden, guess what Matthew has? Because of Jesus, he starts having family again. Now, is it his family? No, it isn't. But it's an awesome family of God that God begins to gather around him. This outcast who had no one and had nothing, when he begins to follow Jesus, has a family again. You go, Aaron, I don't have a family, or my family's far away. You know what? We are a family of God that we, God wants to gather us together. And be that family. So he didn't see Matthew as an outcast. He saw him as a family member. Listen, what's interesting is simple. They saw the same man. 
They saw the same profession. They saw the same circumstances. But because one group looked with their natural eyes, they saw something completely different than Jesus who saw something in their spiritual eyes. I want to talk about some biblical examples of people who learned to see. You see, this is a learning thing. This is something we have to work at. If you think this is going to just magically happen, it won't. This is something we work at. I want to talk about a couple of these guys that learned to see. I want to first talk about David. We know the story. David shows up at the battlefield. He's got his lunch for his brothers. He's such the runt. He's such the guy that nobody could see as being somebody that could help. He's not even allowed to fight. He's the delivery boy. He is the Uber, not Uber. He's the, what's the people that bring food? Do Uber bring food? DoorDash, thank you. He's the DoorDash guy. And he shows up. Sorry, I, I don't do those things, you know. <laughs> he shows up. He's DoorDash. I got your lunch. What's he see? What's he find? Everybody's scared. Everybody's cowering. Everybody's hiding behind rocks. Why is everybody hiding? There's a nine-foot giant out there who's yelling at us. Why is everybody hiding? of what they see. They're seeing a nine-foot giant. David walks in and he goes, wait just a cotton-picking minute. Now, does David see a little pipsqueak? No! He sees a nine-foot giant. I've read things that maybe David, just because of just averages and the normal height of people, David might have been about 5'3 at this time. Nine foot to 5'3. Maybe Goliath's sword is bigger than David. His shield may be bigger than David. But David doesn't see Goliath with his natural eyes. You see, David, if this will help you, picked up his spiritual glasses, put them on, looked at a nine-foot giant, and simply said this, my God is bigger than you, my God is stronger than you, and I don't have to be afraid of you. Can I just be honest with us? You know what the church is tending to do? We're hiding behind rocks because the giants look so big. Are you kidding me? David put on his glasses. I'll fight him. I'll go after him. I don't have to be afraid of him. Look what happens in 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, 45, it says this. As they're getting ready to fight, David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Isn't it interesting here? Do you hear what David says? He says, you think because you see a spear and a javelin and a shield and a nine-foot giant, that you have the power, you have the authority. But the God of Israel, my God, will defeat you today because I'm not seeing through thy natural eyes. I'm seeing through my spiritual eyes, and my God is bigger than you. I remember when I was a kid, you remember those old milk commercials they used to have? And they'd be, you know, back in the 80s, you know, and it would be, the, the tagline would be, milk, it does a body good. Remember that one? I remember one where there was this one, and there was this little kid, and he's sitting there, he's got a little glass of milk, and he's little, and there's like three or two big old teenage boys around him, and, he's, and they're kind of circling him around him like they're getting ready to take him out. And he says something to the effect, I don't remember exactly, because I, I, that would be weird if I remembered exactly what he said. But basically he says, you know what, I'm drinking milk. And, one day, and, and, and he starts to kind of tell him that he's, and, and in the video or in the commercial, the little boy kind of morphs from this little boy, and he gets a little bit bigger, and he gets a little bit bigger. And then finally he's a full-grown man with his glass of milk, and he's going, yeah, yeah, you want to mess with me now? And the other boys, you know, kind of walk away. You know, I remember that commercial, and I remember, it's funny, that commercial stuck with me. 
number one, because it was kind of weird kind of commercial, but also it kind of showed something. You know what that little boy saw? That little boy didn't see himself as the pipsqueak. He saw that, you know what, if I continue, follow me here, if I continue to drink this milk, then I'm going to grow, and I'm going to get bigger, and I'm going to get stronger, and I don't have to be afraid of you. What was he doing? He was putting on some milk glasses and basically saying, if I continue this route, I won't have to be afraid because I'm going to grow strong. Listen, if we will continue, even though we may feel small, continue to drink the milk that God has given us through his word and through his presence, we're going to be able to look at ourselves differently and say, you know what? I don't have to be afraid of those things. I don't have to be afraid of those giants in my life. Why? Because I'm growing with God because I have the power because of him, not because of me. David understood that. Secondly, let's look at Elisha. This is one that we usually think about, but it's still a great story. Elisha was a prophet of God, a very powerful prophet of God. And in this story, basically, a king of, of an attacking country is having a little bit of issues. He's, he's wanting to attack God's people. But the problem is, is God is telling Elisha, and Elisha's telling the king, and basically, they know what's coming. So the king is furious. He's convinced there's got to be a spy. There's got to be a spy. And so he gets all his people together, his inner circle. He says, listen, there's got to be a spy because this is what's happening. And one of them says, no, 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 king, we're not spies, we're not traitors. He said, there's this, I love this, there's a prophet of God. And he's telling the king everything you say, even in your bedchamber. And so what does the king decide to do? We're not going to win the award like this. So he decides we're going to send everybody after the prophet of God. And so in the night, they surround him. They put the armies is there and the chariots are there and, and, and so they're, they're all around. So as the sun comes up, that's where we kind of pick up our story in 2 Kings 6. So in 2 Kings 6, 15, it says this. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Can you imagine the servant's reaction? He comes out, he, you know, I'm going to get some water or something, and they are completely surrounded. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Let's continue on. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Thank you, Jesus. Then Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, interesting. Open his eyes and let him see. What's he talking about here? Obviously, he's not talking about his natural eyes because he's already seen the enemy. He prays that God would open his spiritual eyes. Listen to what happens. The Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Thank you, Lord. You, you see what I mean when I say this can change everything? There are times in our lives where we just feel surrounded. We feel like there's nothing we can do. The battle is lost. But we have looking with the wrong set of eyes. Because when we will open those eyes, when we will see with those eyes, we will see that scripture fulfilled. There is more with us than there are with them every single time. Let's look at Joshua and Caleb. In Joshua and Caleb's story, uh, they send 12 spies out to look at the promised land to kind of spy it out. They come back and they begin to give that report. Joshua and Caleb were two of the twelve. So let's see what, what they come back with uh, as far as the, the ten. Let's look at Numbers 13, 27 through 28. It says this, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore. And it is indeed a bountiful country. A land flowing with milk and honey. Here is, here is the kind of fruit it produces. They actually brought some of the fruit so people could, guess what? See it. And then here's the but. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. There's our giants again. 
those towns that are, that are fortified. Guess what one of those is? It's Jericho, okay? So they're coming and they're seeing all these things. They're seeing the problems. They're seeing through their natural eyes. Yes, it's awesome. Yes, it's all God promised. But the people there are big. The people there are giants. The people there will defeat us. They begin to see things the wrong way. They see them through their natural eyes. But Joshua and Caleb don't. Let's look at Numbers 13, 30. They begin to see something different. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as he stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land he said we can certainly conquer it let's go on please but the other men who explored the land with him disagreed we can't go up against them they are stronger than we are what are they doing naturalize naturalize so they spread this bad report about the land among the israelites the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes there. And the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we feel like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. Now, I want to stop here really quickly and catch a couple things here. Okay? Isn't it interesting what we see in their report? Okay, first, we see that they felt like grasshoppers. Can I be honest with you? Here's, here's typically what happens when we see our natural things through natural eyes. We take them in with our natural eyes. We let them go through our eyes into our brain. That goes down into our heart. And we feel. And then once we feel, then we react in that feeling. We take it in, goes through our brain, we process it. Our brain's like a computer, we process it all. It goes through our heart and then out. I heard somebody once call the spiritual eyes the eyes of our heart. What did these guys do? What did they mess up on here? They let their feelings become more important than the truth of God's promises. Here's how God wants us to respond. Instead of seeing necessarily with these physical eyes, we need to see with the eyes of our heart. When we do that, something changes. Why? Because the Bible tells us that we are to hide God's word where? In our mind? No, in our heart. So when we take in that information through our heart, we're also putting it through the filter of God's word. Now when it comes up and out through our actions and through our brains, we're able to say, yes, we don't deny that the people are big. We don't deny that this is a hard situation, but we refuse to believe and let our feelings control our actions because we know what the heart says and we know what God says through his word that we have hidden in our heart. It's important. So they first they feel. Second thing, you don't just catch that? They said, they said, we felt like grasshoppers. And, and then it says, and they thought so too. Who's the they? It's the enemy. The enemy told them, oh yeah, you're gonna lose. You know what I found is crazy to me at times? We expect the enemies in our world, meaning the enemy of our world. To look at us and go, oh yeah, I'm going to lose this. I'm, this is a losing battle. And we say, you know, the enemy agrees with me. The enemy thinks I'm going to lose. Look what the enemy thinks you're going to lose. And they let that convince them. You see, when you use something besides God's word, whether it be the thoughts of someone else or the thoughts of yourself, I promise you, you are looking through the wrong set of eyes. Caleb refused to do it. Joshua refused to do it. They said, no, 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 no. Doesn't matter that the kingdom is big. It doesn't matter that the people are big. Doesn't matter if there are giants there. My God made a promise and I'm standing on God's promises. He was looking through those spiritual eyes. So finally, let's have some application. How do we learn to use our spiritual eyes? I've just given you two because I think it's pretty... Um, Important that we catch these two. Number one, and this is just, 
may seem simple and, and easy, but I find that unfortunately some people try without this first step. You got to give your life to Jesus. You got to give your life to Jesus. Without Him, you don't have spiritual eyes. You don't have that ability. You don't. You cannot see things differently. Okay. Now, now I want I want I want you to understand something. Okay. There are some of us who use the vision of others that don't know God to help form our worldview. Do you understand why that's dangerous? Because they're looking through eyes that are not the correct eyes. Okay? Look what Jesus says in John 3. In John 3, obviously, a major uh, portion of Scripture where Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus. This is what Jesus says. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Jesus makes a very bold statement here. He said, you need to get this. This is truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you understand the order? There has to be a new birth. Because this whole portion of scripture, Jesus talks about this idea of new birth. And, 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 and Nicodemus can't get it. He, he can't figure, he's like, he's like, what do you mean? I, I don't understand. But Jesus here is like, there's got to be a new birth so you can have some new eyes. And when you have your new eyes, then you can start to see the kingdom of God the way God intended it. So we've got to give our life to Jesus. Full on, it's all his. And when we do that, our eyes can change because everything changes. The second you need to anoint your eyes. You need to anoint your eyes, okay? Now, in Revelation, the first part, we talked about this real briefly when we went through the book of Revelation, I think last summer. Uh, there's, before we really get into the major league prophecy stuff in Revelation, we see these letters written to churches. And, and so we see these, these, these things put out there. And in, in Revelation 3, we see that, uh, that Jesus is communicating to a church in, in Laodicea. And so he's, he's sharing them with things, and he, he gives them uh, some, some good things, but he also kind of gives them things to work on. And in this scripture, and there's lots of reasons why, and I don't want to dive into it too deep, but I want you to look at this with me. Look at Revelations 3, 18b. He's communicating things, but he communicates this. He says, buy from me, me being Jesus, medicine. Other translations have this idea of salve or, or ointment, okay? To put on your eyes so you can truly see. Now, here's what I feel like God spoke to me when it comes to seeing spiritually. There's lots of us. First of all, we, we got to know Jesus. We got to accept Jesus, okay? That's the first thing. But a lot of us have. And the problem is, is we are having a very hard time seeing we don't quite understand why I, I, I should have new eyes. Why am I looking through the wrong lens? Why am I having issues here? It's simple. There is a process that God wants to bring us all on where he begins to work on our eyes continuously. This idea of medicine. You don't take medicine when your eyes are fine. You take medicine when you need healing in your eyes. You put on ointment. Sometimes my, my son will get mosquito bites, and they get huge. I don't know if he's allergic to mosquitoes. I don't know what's going on. But when he'll come in, and they'll just be this big old huge thing, and he got bit by a mosquito. And what does his mom do? His mom gets out the anti-itch cream. What does that say on the bottle? It calls it ointment. There's an issue. There's a problem. We put the ointment on. And it begins to work, and it begins to bring some healing, and it begins to bring the inflammation down. It helps with the itching. Listen, some of you, you need the Father to really come in and put some ointment on your eyes again. And say, you know what, I, you need to see better. Let's go back to grace as we started this whole thing. Grace had to have some medical attention to be able to see clearly. And God wants to put that ointment on our eyes again. I believe that God in our world today, I said earlier, why is this so important? Simple, because we take in so much information with our eyes. You think, listen, you think that happened by chance? You think the enemy was kind of like, oh, you know, 
kind of cool. It'll be fine. Or do you think he went, hey, you know, what goes through here really affects here and really affects here. And so if I can make what comes through here become an idea of fear and doubt and worthlessness and all these things, oh boy, that could really affect some people. Some of us this morning need to let God anoint our eyes again. Some of us, whether we realize it or not, are not seeing things clearly. Now, let me ask you a question as the worship team wants to come up. Simple question. Was it Grace's fault that her eyes weren't good? Was it Grace's fault? Did Grace do something evil as a three-year-old that made God strike her with bad eyesight? Of course not. Of course not. Do not fall into this trap this morning that says that God is done getting you because you did something and so your eyes are bad. Here here would have been the problem. Here's Here's where, as her uncle, I would have had a problem. If my sister or Grace had come to me And they would never do this, okay? But just go with me. And Grace said, hi, Uncle Aaron. Hi, Grace, what's going on? Guess what? What? I can't see. What do you mean? Like, like I, 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 you're just a blur. Well, Gracie, what are we going to do about that? Well, the doctor says if I can just put on some glasses, I'll be able to see great. Well, let's put on the glasses. Nah, I don't think so. What do you mean? What? No, 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 Grace. You can't see. It's all blurry, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's put on the glasses. Nah, I don't think so. Why not? Well, I'm, I'm just so used to things being blurry. Sometimes we're even scared of what clarity will bring. The problem here is not the fact that at times we're blind. It's that we refuse to let Jesus help us see. How many times? I was blind, and yet now I see. Can you do me a favor? Let's close our eyes and let's let's spend some time. The worship team is just going to begin to play. But I want to ask you a couple questions. Number one. Are you blind? And what I mean by that is, are you spiritually blind? You know, it's amazing. I've met people in my life that are, that are, that are physically blind, but spiritually they can see so amazingly well. And I've met people in my life that got 20-20 vision that spiritually speaking can't see, a, can't see anything. The only one Hear me here. The only one that will make you see is Jesus. It's not a political cause. It's not a new toy. It's not a relationship apart from him. You see, the problem that so many of us have, the problem that this world in some ways has, is we're blind. And we try so many things to bring us sight, but only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. So I'm going to ask really quickly. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up and do the hokey pokey. I just want to be able to pray with you. And you would say, you know what, Aaron, with no one looking around, this is between you and God, not you and everybody else. You'd say, Aaron, you know what? I need to see again. I've never seen. I I need Jesus to help me see. I need to accept him. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real quick? Let me see it, and then you can put it back down. Is there anybody? Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Now the second part of this, the second application, was some of us, if we're just honest with ourselves, We've accepted Jesus, and that's great, but we've stopped really looking 
at things with our spiritual eyes. And we need, we need Jesus to put that medicine on. We need him to help us to when we see situations and circumstances, to allow those things to be seen with the correct eyes. And here's the thing, I'm not gonna ask you if that's you, because I'm just gonna be flat honest with you, I believe that's all of us. I know it's me. I need to see things differently. I need God to once again rub that ointment in and say, let me help you really see what's going on. So I believe that's all of us. So with that in mind, let's all pray together. And then the team's gonna come lead us in a quick closing chorus. Father, we come to you right now. And Father, for those that raise their hand that are asking that they see that they accept you in that way. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would just enter, that you would just come, that they would just acknowledge you as their Lord and as their Savior, that they would know, that they would know in their heart and they would confess with their mouth that you are Lord. And in that moment, they're transformed. In that moment, all the old things have been made new. All the eyes that were natural have become supernatural. In that moment, not because of their perfection, not because of their persistence, but because of your grace, love, and mercy for us. So Father, we thank you that now in this moment, Blind eyes have been opened in the name of Jesus. But Father, for the rest of us, God, we need medicine again. We, have, we, we, we spend way too much time in, in times of worry and in times of doubt and in times of worthlessness because we're looking at ourselves and we're looking at situations with our natural eyes. Father, we need to see again. God, you need a group of Christians that are willing to see correctly again. To not hide behind the rocks, but to stand up to the giants that we face. To know that there are more with us than there are against us. To understand that your promises are true and yes and amen. It doesn't matter what we see in our natural. We know that we win because you win. To live that way to have those eyes and to see our world through them. We can only do that with you transforming our eyes and with you continuing to work through our eyes. So God, I pray for healing in our spiritual eyes for every single one of us this morning. We love you. We thank you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are gonna come lead us in a quick closing chorus. So when Aaron was uh, <laughs> speaking back there, the song came to me, and so I'm about to either get uh, fired or, uh, but uh, I watched a lot of VeggieTales, um, and uh, I'm telling you what, uh, this song nailed me like right between the eyes back there, so we're going to sing it, I'm sorry, I'm going to throw you guys, no, 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 we're going to do the, uh, my God is so big, and he's so strong, he's so mighty, the words are not going to be up there, but if you watch enough VeggieTales, but this was, this was perfect for us. So.
big you are strong you are mighty and just because we sing it in children's church doesn't change the fact that that's true the mountains are yours the rivers are yours the stars are your handiwork you put them there what is all that communicating how can we sing that song It's simple we put on the right eyes we put on the right eyes we put on those glasses and we see that that you know what there's nothing bigger than our God cancer is not bigger than our God your financial issues not bigger than our God sickness is not bigger than our God the world in its state that it, we are in is not bigger than our God I don't know I when I used to sing that song we used to sing my God is so big my God is so mighty there's nothing my God cannot do and then I would say for you I would make it personal and I think that's important that we catch that you see your God is big and he's mighty and there's nothing he can't do for you there is nothing that you are facing that he cannot help you through you are tough enough with him but let's see things through the right eyes so Jesus we love you we thank you we ask that you would change us form us that you would just wipe that medicine in our eyes let us see things differently starting today and allow instead of the spirit of fear and the spirit of doubt and the spirit of worry and the spirit of worthlessness and the spirit of depression instead of those things let us see things with the spirit of faith and hope and love and grace and goodness because that's what the eyes of the spirit show us no matter what we face no matter what we go through we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you so much for being here. For those that are online, we love you, we miss you, we hope you see you soon. Remember, we got lots coming up with men's Bible study and, and, and next week for the 4th, having a great time. If you have any questions, let me know. Hope to see you all there. Love you so much. We'll talk to you soon.